0: We're in Mark 1, Chris. And because you haven't been here, just a real quick uh, recount. Mark was written to Christians in Rome. And it was written to encourage them. And Mark starts off his Gospel with these words. The beginning of the euangelion. That's the Greek word for Gospel. The the, the beginning of the euangelion of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus Messiah. So the... The euangelion, we said, remember guys, that word is only used when a new king is coronated, a new king is born, or a, new king, or a king has a great military victory. And so the writers knew, and Mark knew when he wrote that, what, was, what he was saying. And, and Jesus is a different kind of king. He's a king who identifies with his people. No king in, in that time period and really probably no king in history really identifies with his people, but he did. And he intervened for his people. And he, he, he came from basically creating the universe to come walk in a human form, putting aside his power to identify with us. And he has victory for us because we saw in his temptation with Satan and the testing that he defeated Satan. And it says Satan went away for a more opportune time to come back and try to defeat him again, but the victory is over because you can't beat the creator of everything. (laughs) You can't. Even though Satan thought he could. Do we think we can do things sometimes that we can't do? You bet. You bet. And so that the one of the interesting things about the gospel of mark is jesus in the first chapter proclaims the gospel and it says what he said and i think that's very important for us to take note of because when when jesus himself is proclaiming the euangelion and then he he says what it is the kingdom of heaven is at hand it's here It's now. It's not in some future time. It's right now. And then he says, repent, believe, and follow. And we talked about what repent is and what it isn't. What it is, it's a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of direction of your life. And and the change of direction of your life has been left out of a lot of uh, calls to people to respond to the gospel in our culture. People don't like that. In fact... There's no reason that anybody should ever say, well, if I follow Jesus, do I have to fill in the blank? That shows you where we are when people say, oh, yeah, you don't have to do anything. Jesus would never have said that. He said, repent, believe, and follow. And so we talked about believe. This past Sunday at Pontevedra Press, I, I, I did a whole message on believe, just like I shared here. And I told my wife afterwards, I think that is one of the most important messages that I've brought in my entire ministry. To clarify what it means to believe and what you should believe in. Because there's a lot of things people believe in that think it's the euangelion and it's not. Mm-hmm. And so... We, we talked about that in here as we worked through this. It's not a forgiveness-only gospel, which is what our culture puts out. And a lot of people, of course they want forgiveness. Ever? I mean, don't you want forgiveness? You, don't want, to, you want to be absolved of anything bad you've done, but you don't want a cost to it. We, we, we live in a culture that tries to get away from any consequence. We don't want to acknowledge it. And now we've got a whole generation that doesn't want to take responsibility. Of course, that's nothing new. It goes back to the garden, right? Well, this woman you gave me, she did it. And she says, well, the snake did it. Nobody wants to take responsibility. And so, and so we looked at what it really means to follow, the cost involved. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. So, before Thanksgiving, Mike shared uh, about how Jesus exposed the darkness wherever he went. The demons immediately felt conviction and they, they thought their time was over. And that's why they were so vocal. You don't see any Old Testament possessions. And even in the New Testament, apart from when you're around Jesus, other than twice in Acts, you don't see about it. And so Mike talked about that. And then last week, we saw how God revealed the authority of Messiah over disease and how he healed Peter's mother-in-law. But it's not just how he healed Peter's mother-in-law. It's like, it's like with Roy or even with my daughter Rachel. You know, everybody said my daughter Rachel only had a, a short life expectancy. Why are you adopting her? She, she defied medicine for three and a half years. In fact... If you go down there and you pull the medical records, you can read in her chart. We can't explain how she's alive. Because God is the one who's ultimately the authority over all. And so we saw that last week. We also saw he was the authority over demons. And, and, and he, he continued to cast demons out. Well, we also saw last week that sometimes... If Jesus had to get away and be alone with God, we need to get away and be alone with God. So we saw his ministry aim. The ministry aim of Messiah was first to know the will of God. How many times, guys, do we get away just to know the will of God? Say, God, I, I don't know what you want me to do. How often do we do that? I can remember for the first, gosh, probably... I'd say the first 14 years of the ministry, maybe 15 years, I would take a quarterly retreat and I would just get away. I'd go to a pond somewhere or a lake for a half a day, just a half day retreat to go out there where nobody was. I'd, I'd always find some kind of remote pond and I'd take a little devotional book. I'd take my Bible, a pad, and I'd take some uh, some... Some juice and some bread and I would have communion with God I would get away get alone with him and then I would just and and I got away from that because I got busy (laughs) but I that that was some very rich time to get away I still get away just not as frequent but we all need to take time to get away and spend time alone with God to hear from him and say God what do you want me to do? Read his word. Let his word penetrate you. Uh, because, you know, I, I've been walking with God for over 50-something years. I've never heard his voice audibly. I've been, now, there's been times the spirit has moved so strong that I thought it was audible, but it wasn't. But he speaks through his word. And if you don't spend time alone with him, you're not going to hear him. Yeah, Mike. Um, I did actually, the only reason I'm saying this, I did that yesterday. And um, and Monday and I spent about three and a half, four hours praying exactly for that. And you know what happened? What? The things that I was praying for, like you know, help this, help that, God said He gave me higher things to pray for. I prayed for the spirit of Daniel with integrity and honor, for the humility of Moses, for the courage of David. My prayers went up because I spent time shut off the TV boys out of town and I just spent time what do you want me to do what do you and I realized my prayers for the normal stuff it went a whole level higher because I because I stopped shut off everything and shut out everybody yeah it, it's kind of like the difference between having a passing conversation with your wife or children and having a long-term yep. sit down and talk conversation with and so we all need, and we saw that last week. Well, this week we're we're in Mark one forty to forty five, guys. It's only six <laughs> verses, only six. I promise you, we'll get through it today. All right, but really, as we look at this text today, um, I, I really I want to give you three tent pegs here, or or, or three pegs, just to to kind of hang what's going on here on and what. I I think God is trying to reveal in this text. The first thing we're going to see is God reveals a man's desperate plea for help. Do we have people around us in this country that are desperate for help? Do we have people in the world right now desperate for help? You bet. So is this applicable to us? You bet. It's a man who's desperate for help. Second thing we're going to see is the Messiah's deep pain in his heart. Sometimes we, we actually buy into the lie that God doesn't care. We buy into the lie or we wonder. We may not actually believe it, but we certainly wonder, does God really care? I've heard it in my own family from people. If he cared, then blank wouldn't happen. Or, or, or how me, or to rephrase it, if he was good. It's, 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 it goes back to the garden where the, the implication was that God was really good; He would let you eat that fruit. Yeah. And so, so it's He doesn't but, care. He's not good. Why are you Why are you paying any attention? But the know? care, David, and this is that's a that's a good point. But the care is what I'm focused on here because if He cares for me, if He was good. He would care for you, and if He cared for you, He would be good to me. He would be. Good yeah, and so our definition of good is different than his. But in this text, what we see is the wording of the text itself indicates he cares deeply about our pain. It disturbs him. And sometimes we forget that. We, 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 we feel like nobody cares Nobody cares about me. I, I've heard it from some family members a lot. You know, just nobody cares. I'm all about, just like Elijah. I'm the only one, God. Nobody else cares, you know. Really? I got 7,000 people out there who haven't bowed their knee. And so that's the second. And then the third thing is the master's different plan for the hurting. Sometimes we... we struggle when we walk with God with what I call a savior complex. We want to go in and we want to help people the way we think they need to be helped. But God has a different plan for people sometimes. Sometimes he doesn't want them healed the way we think they should be healed. Sometimes he may allow us to struggle with a physical illness to the point of death in our physical body death isn't the worst thing that can happen to you guys. And so as we look at these three ideas today in Mark 1, 40 to 45, let them them percolate, really. A man's desperate plea for help. Okay? The Messiah's deep pain in his heart about what's going on in the world. And then third is the Master's different plan for the hurting. In this text, that's what he reveals. So we're going to... Read this. It, it's the, the passage is about leprosy. I don't know if you've ever seen a leper in person, if you've ever been around him. I have. I've actually ministered to lepers in India before. I've actually gone into two or three leper colonies over there and brought the gospel, saw lepers come to Christ. I've seen them firsthand. Modern day leprosy is known as Hansen's disease. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. That's what It's called it's a real deal it's a long-term infection that's caused by a bacteria and what it does is it it spreads in your body and it creates uh what looks like almost like abscesses on your skin it 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 creates deformities and you you lose feeling you don't it, it attacks your nervous system so that your nerves feel nothing So these people in India would actually reach their hand into a fire because they cook over an open fire and they would reach their hand and grab a hot pot and not even know that it burns their hands. And so their hands get burned. They get infected. They don't feel the infection and their hands fall off. That's leprosy. And it's real. They go blind because it gets into their eyes. It gets into their nose and actually eats their nostrils apart. It is a devastating disease and it's real. The body's warning system of pain is a good thing. When you touch something hot and your body goes, ow, I don't want to do that. Guess what? Can pain be a good thing for us? You bet. Sometimes it reveals something we shouldn't do. Not just in the physical, but in the spiritual too. There's a guy who did a lot of research about it named Dr. Paul Brand. He said that leprosy is a painless hell. It's a painless hell. Josephus, the historian, says that lepers were treated as dead men because they were. There was no cure. There's no cure for it. They just Today we treat symptoms, but there's literally no cure for it when it gets in your system. And it's a graphic illustration of sin. It always has been seen by that, by the biblical writers and people throughout history that follow Jesus. They've seen leprosy. And uh, let me just bring out a couple of things. One, both are deeper than the surface. See, a lot of times in the... Christian world, we like to deal with the surface issues, but sin, the, 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 the consequences or the things that we see people do reveals a much deeper problem than whatever they've done. So in that way, they're a lot alike. They both are just deeper than the surface. The second thing is they both spread and they defile others. Sin spreads, leprosy spreads, and it defiles the people around them. Now, the way leprosy spreads isn't through casual contact, but it does spread. It is contagious. But back then, they thought it was through casual contact, and so they just, you were shut out. You couldn't be close to anybody. You couldn't touch anybody for sure. And all this is back in Leviticus 13 and 14. The Levitical laws that God gave to his people. He gave a whole chapter, a huge chapter in Leviticus 14 to talk about how to determine if it was like eczema or leprosy. (laughs) Because they kind of referred to any skin disease as leprosy. So you had these minor skin irritations. I mean, literally, jock itch athlete's foot would have been a skin irritation they're going to make sure it's not leprosy and so Leviticus 14 talks about what they would do if you had something like that it says also they both are only fit for the fire they would burn stuff where the lepers were and God says that because of sin we're headed for a place of eternal fire they basically both are an outward sign guys of a visible inward corruption and they're incurable apart from God no leper was cured apart from God only one in the whole Old Testament only one his name was Naaman and God did it in fact when Naaman came to the king, because a servant girl told, hey, there's this guy over in Israel who who does miracles. He goes to the king of Israel and says, hey, I want to see the guy who can cure me. The king goes, what am I, God? Are you trying to provoke a war? I can't cure you. Because nobody could heal leprosy. And Doug, even, even Naaman Elisha put his finger on what problem was, which was pride. even mm-hmm. had to humble himself. Oh, he did. Or he was cured. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 it again is an illustration of it's something that goes way. It's deeper. way deeper. But see, here's the thing, guys, about this disease, and this is why it is such a picture of sin. We're going to look at again at this guy who was alienated. He was isolated, and he was deteriorating. And isn't that what sin does? We are alienated from God. We're isolated from fellowship with Him. And we are decaying. Apart from Jesus, guys, we just get worse and worse and worse, right? You don't get better in an unreborn state. It doesn't happen. That's why psychology won't fix you. 12 steps, AA, all that stuff, it'll never fix the root problem. Programs don't do it. Only Jesus can fix somebody. In fact, we are are all spiritual lepers, to be honest with you. Every human being that walks the face of the earth. Do you know, I was reading a prayer from um, Solomon this morning when he dedicated the temple. And all the way back in his time period, he said, there is nobody righteous. And I thought, man, how many times have I read this? I I mean, I know Paul says it in Romans, but Solomon, back when he's dedicating the temple, says there's no one righteous. Nobody. We all have had spiritual leprosy. Yeah. Paul's quoting David in the Psalms, though. Yeah. So so, so Solomon got that from his dad. Yeah, he did. (laughs) He didn't follow it all the way, but he got it. Um, Anyway, let's read the text. Mark 1, 40, 45. Short text. We're going to kind of jump into these, okay? Starting in verse 40, and a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And people were coming to him from every quarter. These are the very words of God. this this account is also in Luke chapter five and it's in Matthew chapter eight. In fact, in Matthew it's the first miracle after the Sermon on the Mount. in, in Luke, it's chapter five and Luke being a doctor, gives a little more amplification just like he did with Peter's mother-in-law about the fever being high. In this case, he says he was covered with leprosy or white with leprosy. It was in its latter stages. So this was a desperate man. Now, up until this guy approaches Jesus, and by the way, it says he approached him, all the other people, it says, were brought to him. Nobody brought this guy. Nobody cared about this guy. This guy was a leper. Think about it. He lives alone. Nobody wanted to be around him. Nobody wanted to touch him. Nobody wanted to get close to him. He was outside of community. He was outside of the temple. This guy was excluded from being in a relationship with the creator because of this condition he had. And, you know, it doesn't say anything about he did something to deserve it then say that it came as a result of sin in his life it, he just had the condition it's a result of the brokenness of the world in which we live in but he was excluded and i, I you know a lot of times when we read scripture we read these stories and we don't go to the place of putting ourselves in that position I want you to just think for a second what it would be like if all of a sudden, think, think about what happened with COVID, how people treated people when it first came out and we didn't know what was going on. And literally, if you cough like somebody just did then, people would go, whoa, I'm getting away from him. You remember that? Oh, we can't meet at church. We can't meet out. We, we stop everything. For You couldn't even go to the beach. But imagine if you were one of the few that had it. Because everybody didn't have it. Everybody else is living their life, everybody else is doing what they do. They get to go to temple, they get to feel communion with God. But not you. You sit and you watch from the outside and you wonder does God really care? Does He? If He does, why am I like this? I believe in God. I believe He created the earth. I've been, I, 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 you know, I grew up reading Torah. I grew up knowing that He was real. And I have faith in Him. Why won't He heal me? Messiah's coming one day. Maybe He will heal me. And so it says He came to Him. He heard somehow, some way of what Jesus had done. That he had healed some people. He had, cast, remember what it said back in Capernaum, the whole city came and he was healing all these people and he was casting out demons and this guy heard, he goes, my science here, I'm going. I don't care. I, I'm going to go and just take a chance that he would not be repulsed by me, that maybe he's the one that can actually cure me. And so he comes to him and it says he beseeched him or he pled with him. Please, please. And he falls on his knees. He he doesn't want, he wants to give him the respect he's due, and he doesn't want to push in too close. He just gets close enough to be within his, you know, right there within his space, but he falls to his knees and he says, If you will, if you will. Would he? He he probably didn't think even he would help him at that point. If you will, would you make me clean? You can make me clean. Notice he doesn't say, if you will, you can make me well. And that's an insight into the text. He's not just wanting to be healed of his leprosy. He's wanting to be connected. He is unclean. He's unclean. Which means he can't go into the temple. And he says, if you will, you can make me clean. This is a man who's desperate for help. And guys, there are people like this all around us. They're all around us. And we just go, we blow right by him, and we're just like the people that lived around this guy. Don't... Uh, I, I, I don't... I don't want to get around them. We live in our little Christian circles. In our, and I told you, when I went up to that school and I, I was in the midst of a lot of pagan guys, it had been a while since I'd been around that many unbelievers. Oh I, oh, I can go in front of unbelievers to preach. I can go do an outreach and be around them, but they're there. But when you're eating and living... And connecting with them, it's a different world. And, and, and if you've not been around it for a while, when you're hearing blankety-blank this and blankety-blank that and all this language that you haven't been accustomed to for a while, you go, ugh, I think I want to stay over here. Instead of caring and letting that drive you to the point of praying for these people. Maybe God can heal them. In fact, sometimes we put people outside of God's reach in our mind. He's too far gone. In fact, I remember going through the very first evangelism training I ever went through as an adult. One of the things we had to do is evangelism explosion, we had to list the three people that we thought would never come to Christ and then pray for them. And do you know that two of those three came to Christ and they're two of my closest friends today? Because nobody's outside of God's purview to heal. And so this man was desperate. Oh, He was desperate in his plea for help. Well, verse 41 we see it says, moved with pity. This is the Messiah's deep pain in his heart. He had deep Compassion here. The word there actually it means almost agitated, because when Jesus looked at the man, he wasn't agitated. They 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 changed, the translation. They made it move with pity because he was agitated about what sin had done to man. He it, it moved him at a very deep level to see this. Picture of all of mankind who who has such a deep a a deep hurt in their their souls they they're broken very badly and the truth is most of us in this room don't consider ourselves broken badly. If you walk over to Lottie and you go down the, the the cell blocks there, you look around and you see a bunch of people that know they're broken. But most of us that walk around in Ponte Vedra or Jacksonville or Jacks Beach, we don't think we're very broken until we see something really bad. The terrorists, Hamas, yeah, they're broken. Me, I'm not so bad. But we're all broken, and Jesus was moved with pity when he saw the brokenness of this man. It, it and it says, he touched him, and he said, "I will." I remember growing up, I used to love this song. I would sing it. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And, and it, it just, the picture of Jesus laying his hand on me to say, I'll make it better, Doug. I'll make it better. That he cares. Isn't that the hope that we have? Amen. Is that he cares about us And no matter what we go through, whether we go through what our brother Chuck's going through right now. And and guys, listen, I'll tell you, it's one thing to say I trust Him when you're not dealing with anything. But it's when you're in the junk, when your marriage is on the edge of falling apart, and you say, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on You. I'm just looking at You. Help me. To be able to cry out to him and to know he cares deeply in his heart. He said, I will. I will. By the way, was there anybody in Scripture that Jesus, somebody goes, would you help me? And he goes, no, I'm not going to help you today. Was there anybody? <laughs> I, was there? I'm asking a, a real Wait, question. Was there a guy that was a Gentile? in? And he said even the, the dogs, or the woman said even the dogs need dogs. Uh, no, but did he help her? Yes. He helped her. Yeah. But you know what he was doing? He was showing his disciples how bad this woman wanted it. Yeah. He helped her. My point is, there was nobody that came to him that wanted help, really wanted help. Now, there was a rich young ruler that said, hey, how do I get eternal life? And he goes, you don't really want eternal life. Because if you do, you need to go sell everything. The the people that really were desperate for help, was there anybody desperate for help for him that he ever turned away? Does that encourage you? That encourages me. That means that if I'm desperate, if I turn to him, and even reading today in Solomon's prayer, Lord, when you bring blight, when you bring war, when you bring famine, because, Lord, we've not obeyed you, if we will turn and say we are sorry, if we will turn our eyes back towards you, hear our prayer and forgive us. And even a king, evil as Ahab, when he repented one time, God was merciful to him. So the Messiah has a deep hurt in his heart because of sin, because of what sin has done. And it says, he said, I will be clean. And it says, verse 42, immediately. You know, over 40 times in Mark, we see that word immediately. It says, the leprosy left him. The man was instantly healed and made clean. Do you know he does the same thing to sin when he touches you? Not when it's a fake thing. Not when it's a... A false motivated thing. But when he touches you, 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Just like this man was clean, the blood of Jesus cleanses us. Hebrews ten twenty two. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. Remember in John 13, Jesus bends down to wash their feet. Peter, you ain't washing my feet. Well, Peter, if I don't wash you, you're not going to be clean. And Peter goes, then wash all of me. And what did Jesus say in response? The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. What he's saying to Peter there is, Peter, listen, you are clean, but going day to day, there are times in your life that you're going to need to come back and say, forgive me for I've sinned. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, He forgives us, but you're clean, but your feet get a little dirty when you're walking out in the world, trying to be my priest, my ambassador. That's what he was saying to Peter there. But we are clean if we are his because of his deep love for us. He left heaven, came to earth in the form of a human and died on a cross for me and you so that we could be clean. So our spiritual leprosy could be healed just like this man was healed. He had a deep pain in his heart. And and then we see in verse 43, it says, and then Jesus sternly charged him and he sent him away. Why? Because Messiah came to heal souls, not the physical. His purpose was not to come to heal people's physical illness. Do you know this guy died? Every person Jesus healed died, ultimately. It was all these healings were temporary reprieves to the physical effects of sin, the consequences of sin. Jesus didn't come to heal your eye, Roy. He came to heal your soul. He didn't come to heal Chuck's cancer, because if Chuck gets healed of that cancer, guess what? He's going to die from something else because these bodies will die. He came to heal our souls. So all these faith healers on TV, all these false teachers that are out there trying to milk people's money, promising them healing, it's a short-lived thing. He came to heal souls. So Jesus told this guy, don't go tell anybody. Because all these people are going to want physical healing, and I'm not here for physical healing. Everybody wants a physical healer. Nobody wants a spiritual healer. That's the American gospel, by the way. We want a genie. We want an ATM machine, but we don't want a Messiah who rules and reigns. In fact, in the American gospel, it's all about the crowds and prosperity. Financially motivated. It is. And Jesus did not want to just be a temporary healer. He's a Messiah for eternity. And so in verse 44, he says, say nothing. Go show yourself to the priest. God had a different plan for the hurting, and it was not the temporary healing. It was a long term. So why did he say, go show yourself to the priest? Well, in Leviticus 14, there was a process. If somebody had leprosy that they, they were to go show themselves to the priest, and the priest had this ritual he would do. He would get two birds. He would take one bird and kill it, then take the blood and mix it with holy flowing water. And then he would take a hyssop branch, he would dip it in that blood and water, he would sprinkle the other dove, and then they would let that dove go free. And then that was symbolic of the cleanliness of the guy who had the leprosy. That's what was supposed to happen. Which had never happened. That's right. Because first of all, Naaman was the only guy ever cured of leprosy. And Naaman was a what? A Gentile. So he wouldn't have gone to the priest. But do you guys know that during this tech, the second temple period, that when they built the temple, they actually had a court for the leper to come to. There was a the place when a leper was healed, they knew Messiah was there because nobody had ever been healed of leprosy. So they had in the court of the women, they had this little vestibule there. It was a court of the lepers. And it was the day the Messiah came, lepers were going to go to fulfill Leviticus 14. And that's what Jesus says. Go to the priest. Go to the priest and do what Moses commanded. Why? He tells us. He says, for a proof to who? To them. A proof of what? That he was healed? That's not what he's saying a proof that I'm Messiah. I am. Go to them. Go to them. Naaman was the only person healed of leprosy. He was a Gentile. He, did, he didn't go. So they knew one day Messiah was coming. They built this court of the lepers. I, I, you can see it. where I mean, you can see in the temple models how they built it. It was talked about. But when Messiah come, there was going to be a leper healed. To go in there. And this is the guy. And Jesus says go do it. But what did he do? (laughs) Yeah he went out and put it everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) He proclaimed it freely. I love that. He talked freely about it. And he spread the news. So much so Jesus could no longer enter a city. And so where did he go? He went to an unpopulated desert area. Ramos. He went out to this place and it says people came to him from everywhere. Here's the thing. Mark's point guys here is not that this guy disobeyed Jesus. That's not the point. The point is that when Jesus changes your life, you have to go public with the incredible joy that comes into your life. You can't contain it if Jesus comes into your life. He's not describing this man's failure to obey Jesus. It's it's just the natural result of what happens when you have a real encounter with Jesus and He heals you. When we're excited, we can't keep quiet. You know what I find interesting? He told this man, don't say anything. The man went and told everybody. He tells us to go tell everybody. We say nothing. By the way, can pain deepen our knowledge of God? Can it? Can can, can God heal everybody that he wants to? Anyone that he wants to? One of the beautiful parts of what this brings to the text is this story is the inclusiveness of Jesus. To take a man that was shunned by society. And by the way, did Jesus have a habit of taking those that were shunned by society and bringing them in? Do you know what Christianity's greatest complaint is in our culture? Is the exclusivity that, that, that you know, we're, we're, we're not inclusive enough. Was Jesus exclusive? Yeah, he was. But he was also inclusive. He was both. Can you be inclusive and exclusive? Yes, you can. He was inclusive of anyone, regardless of the condition they were in. He was exclusive in the fact that when they came to him, they had to come really wanting healing. Not just a genie. Not an ATM, but true healing. So what's our takeaways? First, Jesus, his whoever's is usually different from our whoever's. You know, John three sixteen, God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him, whoever believes in him. Sometimes we tend to write people off that he doesn't. No one's outside of his reach. And we need to remember that. He can heal anyone. There's nobody so far gone unless they're in the box, unless they're in the casket. So we should pray. We should pray. Second, Jesus cares deeply about the pain and consequences of sin in our life. We're all lepers. And he hurts over our pain and he wants to heal us. Listen, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's happening in your life. I don't know if you made a bad choice or your, your pain is a result of somebody else's bad choice. Or maybe it's just a circumstance. But he cares. That's encouraging to me that the God of all creation cares about the pain I have to go through. And he cares deeply. Not, he just doesn't just care. He cares deeply. Third thing, heal people want to tell everyone. They want to tell everyone. Now, you know, it's interesting to me that in Mark chapter 14, the same writer, the guy who wrote this, writes over in Mark chapter 14 toward the end of the book that when Jesus at one time is in Jerusalem, he's at in Bethsaida, actually, not Bethsaida, that's uh, not Bethany. I have to get the right Beth in there, but it's Bethany. He's in Bethany, which is where Lazarus, Mary, Martha lived, some of his favorite people in the world. And there was another guy there named Simon the leper. And I just find it interesting that that's how that guy's identified. We don't know that it's the same guy, m- may not be, but he was a leper at one point. He wasn't a leper when Jesus stayed with him. It could have been this guy. But whoever he was, whether he was this guy or even if he wasn't, at one point, he was a leper that had been healed. Jesus healed lots of lepers. And when he stayed in Simon's house, they had put out an edict that anybody that associated themselves with this guy is excommunicated from the synagogue but he didn't care he just wanted to be around him he was grateful because this guy obviously had healed his leprosy he wished excommunication to be with jesus when you're healed, you don't care what people think about you more than you care about being with Jesus and walking with him, walking with him. So for us personally, do I exclude people from Jesus reach? Is there anybody in my life that I've kind of written off that maybe I need to repent of that and say, you know what, God, God I, love, I haven't been praying for this person because I kind of wrote him off. <coughs> Am I deeply moved by people's pain around me? Their alienation from God. Does that move me? If I'm His, it should. Am I seeking physical healing and blessing or just... Is that really my goal to seek that? Or do I seek spiritual healing and blessing? You got to remember, He came to heal us spiritually, to lead us spiritually, so that as we live in this physical world, the spiritual trumps the physical. How's that been working for us? How have we been doing with that? Those are some questions that I think as we read this, we were reminded that we're all spiritual lepers. If we've been healed, we need to tell people, hey, there's hope, because the world right now desperately, desperately needs David, would you close our time of prayer? Gracious, Father, Lord, we're so thankful to have this time to come. And thank you for Doug and the insights of the scripture. Thank you for this time that we can gather and learn more about Christ and how we are leopards at times. And just pray that you would go with us and bring us back safely the next time Doug teaches us and watch over us. And we ask these things in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Register, guys, for next... Or for, yeah, next Thursday. And um, hope you guys have a great Christmas.